So I brought Josh Norman from the Mountains in the Sea podcast back to chat with me about Baby I'm a Star, the eighth track on the Purple Rain album. Welcome back to the show, Josh. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, appreciate you joining me. Uh, you and Christy have been invaluable guests for my podcast over the past year or so. Uh, and, you know, this Baby I'm a Star is it's really upbeat. It's fun. It's, you know, you dance to it. It's got a great drum machine beats you know it's like really hard pounding a great yep. synthesizer line you got instead of guitar solos you got a synth solo <laughs> towards yeah. the end of the song yeah um, it's, it's a fun song i mean do you do you personally like this song a lot josh it was one of the first prince songs that i really got into um i was like 10 years old when purple ring came out and had actually heard the end of Delirious on the radio or at a friend's house and heard that little baby cry at the end. And then when Purple Rain came out, actually my mother had the soundtrack. And uh, so I would borrow the cassette. I still remember that white cassette with the black imprints and the little flowers on it from the from the film. Great illustrations on the cassette. And Baby I'm a Star is my favorite song from the soundtrack. And of course, I, I heard the soundtrack long before I was allowed to see the film. Um, so yeah, I would say that, um, you know, from the beginning, it's just an easy song to to hook you in, uh, whether you're a Prince fan or not. It's um, so yeah. It was originally one of my favorite from the movie before I was you know probably mature enough to appreciate some of the other songs. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that it really struck you right away as one of the stronger songs or as one of you know your personal favorites, because for me, I think for Baby I'm a Star was a song that I've grown to enjoy more over time oh really so that's yeah the opposite opposite of right me. it really kind of is the opposite so baby i'm a star for whatever reason didn't grab me quite as much as many of the other songs on purple rain when i was listening to it you know in the 80s very mm -hmm. frequently and you now i replay it over and over and over and as it got towards the end of side two with baby i'm a star and purple rain for yeah. whatever reason i enjoy both of them don't get me wrong but I think the um, the length of Purple Rain mm -hmm. and with Baby I'm a Star, I guess I, I wasn't as, the message wasn't as um, deep for me, and which is kind of weird to sound for when you're talking about a kid. Like, usually children don't really, aren't attracted to the lyrics, right? A lot of times it's the, it's the sounds, it's the music, at least for me personally. And I, it, it took me more, like, to my adulthood before I started to pay attention to lyrics and start paying attention to themes and messages being conveyed in those lyrics. And Baby I'm a Star is more of, it has fun lyrics and we're gonna go through that and explain kind of how fun they actually are and how, how they can put a smile on your face. But I think I liked, I was always a little bit more attracted to some of the darker themes of this album. Songs like When Doves Cry and, uh -huh. you know, Darling Nikki computer blue you know really beyond kind of being angsty and <laughs> um, wow what a dark soul of a child you were <laughs> it kind of kind of sounds like i was which <laughs> which is kind of weird because that's not typically uh how it how it works usually you have right. to go through some stuff before you can really relate to those deeper more emotional songs and I hadn't gone through stuff quote unquote stuff at that time so I don't know why I think I just was attracted to it for whatever reason. Now our stories are very opposite then, because I feel the complete, you know, the opposite way. Like I was, 
just immediately attracted to it because of the upbeatness. I love the synthesizer and the you know the upbeat you know danceable music. It just was like an an immediate hook for me, um, and it took me longer to even appreciate like classics like When Doves Cry. I appreciate now more than when they were you know in their heyday in the mm-hmm. mid '80s. I I think I might have liked this song more had I seen the movie right away. Yeah. But I was too young to really watch Purple Rain when it came out initially. Mm-hmm. So by the time I finally watched it, and I say finally, meaning like I watched it around 86, I was still probably too young, but I yeah. watched it regardless. Um, <laughs> because I was able to find a friend with HBO and I could sneak over to his house and we watched it. There you go. In the day when his parents were gone in the summer <laughs> at work. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but I think I would have liked it better because in the film, you know, I mean, it's it's intention of the film is to kind of put a nice, happy ending bow on, on the story. Exactly. <laughs> For, throughout most of the film, you know, the kid and Morris Day are mortal enemies. Like, they hate each other. Oh, but yeah. Everything, perp- the, the performance of Purple Rain in the film kind of repairs their relationship magically it and does. <laughs> and and you see it's fun and, and when he's performing baby i'm a star in the film there's a brief shot of of morris and jerome in the crowd just like jamming out you know and they got big smiles on their face yep <laughs> totally see it in my head yes yeah and so it's like okay well i guess they're friends now Ooh, ah, the cool. healing power of music <laughs> the power of the power of the kid and the revolution yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's positioned in the film as the closing song, as as I mentioned, like the the happy ending provides a happy ending through song. He's got a smile on his face throughout like the entire performance. Yeah, very. There's fun. no angst at all in this song. It's just look at me, I'm having fun. The band's having fun. We're all getting along. Everybody's enjoying themselves. Yeah, and everything's gonna be okay. That's right. Chin up. Yeah, all right. So, as I kind of mentioned, the song is a great companion to the film, but as it's standalone, and just looking at the lyrics, which which is what we're going to do, it's it's a bit of a, like a, I don't know, like a self-fulfilling prophecy for Prince, the, the musician, not the kid, but the musician. Um, so the history of the song, I, I'm sure you know a bit about it, and I just did some research before... Um, coming on here because I didn't realize how far back this song went in terms of its, you know, its genesis in Prince's right. uh, catalog. So I guess he was the song was written long before Purple Rain. Is that what you understand yeah. as well? Yeah, something like 1981, possibly. Yeah, yeah. And you got to think about where Prince was in his career in 1981. This yeah, was after not... controversy, and he hadn't even yeah. released 1999 yet. Right. Definitely um, not a star yet. No, not 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 really. I mean, he had some underground hits and had a a semi big hit with "I Want to Be Your Lover," but to call himself a megastar, you know, or to say was Prince a big star in 1981, the answer would be no. Yeah, um, he was known in some circles, but not not from the you know a global superstar like he was after Purple Rain. Definitely. So I think, you know, it's interesting in that way, as I mentioned, kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, writing a song, talking about, you know, has a career trajectory going upwards and upwards, like very upward mobility, 
I'm going to sing about this. I'm going to write a song about becoming successful and being a, a megastar and having everything that I've ever wanted in the assumption that that's going to happen for me. Yeah, it's really interesting cool. that you mentioned, you know, his one big hit up to that point was I Want to Be Your Lover. And as I was going over these lyrics, it sort of seemed like an updated version of I Want to Be Your Lover, you know, kind of a statement of who I am and this is what I am and this is what I'm going to be and this is what I want to be. Uh, <laughs> there are there are some similarities there. Yeah, when we get to the ver first verse, there's going to be one line in particular that I'm sure that you're already thinking about. <laughs> we're yep. going to say, um, yeah, that's a definite callback to I Want to Be Your Lover for sure. Yeah, but definitely. before we I'd get also, to... I'd also read, sorry to interrupt you, no, no, I also ahead. read that like in even like the first of early scripts for Purple Rain that Baby I'm a Star was uh, part of the plan. So it was something that he had, like you said, written years before. And, um, you know, as usual, he had these things in his back pocket and seemed to know in his head where he wanted it, especially for what was up to that point, like his most important project for sure for his entire career. Yeah, the the film itself has several plots, right? It's got a relationship plot with Apollonia. It's got family plot dealing with his abusive dad and his mom and their relationship. And then mm -hmm. it's got the um, another plot regarding his career. Yep. And uh, how, you know, at the start of the film, Let's Go Crazy, he's playing Let's Go Crazy, and the crowd seemingly is really into it. That's a very crowd-pleasing song so you get the sense that you know he's pretty doing pretty well on the local circuit at least yeah but then as the movie goes on and his his troubles continue to mount his music starts to reflect that and you know the billy's got that line about nobody understands your music but yourself or nobody's digging you yeah. And so you kind of get a sense that Prince is no longer, or the, I keep saying that. I've, do, I've done that for like every single episode that I've done for this freaking album. I keep <laughs> saying Prince when I'm referring to the kid. Yeah, the um, character. Sure. Yeah, and the character. And so his, his career in the film is starting to take a nosedive. Yeah. And then finally, you know, the, once again, the healing power of the song Purple Rain has kind of won everybody back over to his side again. And he's now looked at as you know, a viable artist that's, that can stick around and not only stick around in the local scene, First Avenue, he's not going to get booted out anymore, we have to assume, yeah, but yeah. but he could potentially, you know, make that next next leap into at least, um, you know, outside of the, the city limits of, of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and expand his reach. Yeah. So, you know, with that plot, Baby, I'm a Star definitely works. For sure, mm -hmm. for, for that aspect of the film and the plot of the film. So I'm sure when Prince was thinking about this movie in his head that he wanted to make, it was going to end with him becoming, or at least the uh, the assumption is, he's destined for greater things. Yeah. yeah and he does it by, you know, like you said, Purple Rain is the kind of culmination of it all, where there's this acceptance of him as an artist, but he also does it by giving credit to other members of the band too, which sort of opens his mind and heart in the mind in the minds and hearts of people watching him. And I think that made a big difference too, at least plot wise. Right. Right. Cause they, they had to tie up all of the loose ends. Yeah. Meaning like his relationship with Apollonia had to be tied up the question of whether or not 
the revolution was going to make the cut mm-hmm. um, for you know maintaining its status in First Avenue. His, you know, his, the family stuff had to be kind of wrapped up in somehow. So I would die for you is kind of during that song. He gives all the, the little scenes to show him in the hospital, showing that his dad hadn't died yet. Apparently. Yes. Yeah, uh, he he survived a blunt <laughs> gunshot to the to the head. At least at least for Purple Rain, Graffiti yeah. Bridge kind of rewrites that ending. But yeah. uh, anyway, we're not that we're not a Graffiti Bridge, right? <laughs> Purple Rain territory, and as its own thing, people leaving the the movie theater are led to believe that his dad lives. Yeah. But yeah, so the the songs on this album really do tell a story and they all have a place in the film and Baby I'm a Star is really like the only one. I mean, maybe Let's Go Crazy, but that has those religious uh, overtones and subtext. Baby I'm a Star is really the only one that just speaks to stardom, like, um, you know, success and musical success and becoming something greater than than where you started in, in doing that do you do you agree with that or do you, can you think of any other example no i think this is probably the most straightforward song on the album too where there's not some kind of you know i would die for you is sort of sung from the perspective of you know jesus or a savior there's a, and um you know when doves cry is um, well, it's a fairly clear message, but it is kind of lyrically more creative. Where this Wait, is a pretty yeah. straightforward. It's probably the most straightforward song on on the album, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, this along with maybe "Take Me With You" are the two most straightforward mm-hmm. songs, I would say, from a lyrical standpoint. Yeah, I'd agree. But one thing that isn't straightforward <laughs> is the backward message that's used for both the beginning and the end of the song. Yeah. That's interesting to me because unlike Darling Nikki, where that is really kind of highlighted uh-huh. at the very end and there's very little um, musical accompaniment, it's just essentially the choir of Prince singing backwards with mm-hmm. some wind and rain. Yeah, kind of Sound- an outro. Yeah. But in this, the backward messaging, the backward masking that's being done on Baby I'm a Star, at the beginning and the end, it's the same message. Yeah, and it's but it's kind of buried in the music somewhat. So very much not, so. To I remember hearing it, you know, early on, and just thinking I couldn't understand what was being said. That um, you know, it was a, it was a spoken thing, but it was said in a weird way. I just couldn't understand. I didn't even realize it was a backwards message. You know, back when I was first hearing it for the first time as a essentially a kid. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Honestly, I always just assumed it was meant to be like ambient crowd noise, you know, yeah. like people just talking in a crowd because this is one of the three songs at the end of the the record that are that were performed live and most of that those live recordings were used for the final mix with just some overdubs and some additional stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess I might have thought it could have been added later or there could have been a microphone out in the crowd meant to just pick up some some people talking i, I mean i didn't really think too much about it otherwise other than i just had no idea what was being said 
if there was any intention that we were supposed to know what was being said. If it was yeah, just totally. Push. Or and if it was or wasn't Prince saying these things too, because it kind of sounds like his voice, like he's kind of amping up the crowd or something. Of course, we know it's not him now. Yeah, but do you do you know who it is? Because I haven't been able to figure out exactly who it is. Oh, I was pretty certain that it was Wendy, especially okay. based on let's just put dropping it into some software and running it backwards to hear it again and prep for talking to you today. To me, it sounds like California accent, Wendy, all okay. the way. Okay. Yeah, that's, I wasn't sure. That's where I'm putting my money. Um, I mean, it's not it's not obviously credited to anyone, and it's hard to see. I, mean, I was looking on Prince Vault, and it's not very clear. But listening to it and having you know listened to Wendy's voice, if you go back and especially listen to a song like Eggplant, where Wendy's kind of talking in her almost accentuated California accent. That's exactly what it sounds like to me. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'll take that for sure because for me, it sounds like a woman now. Yes. Not that Prince couldn't have sped up his vocals to make it sound more feminine, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it is. I think it's just an actual woman's voice. Yeah. Yeah. And you think of who was in Prince's camp at the time that could have provided vocals. Could have been Wendy. Could have been Lisa. Could have been Jill. Yep. But I've seen more than one account suggesting that it's Wendy. Yours isn't the first. I've seen all three. (laughs) (laughs) But I think everybody, everybody who has put their opinion on who is saying these, these lines is just guessing, really. There's no... Yeah, totally. Um, I think I think Christy and I have shared with you, we had a chance to meet all the members of the revolution twice. And both times mm-hmm. I left regretting not coming more prepared with questions like, hey, Wendy, was that you saying this and baby I'm a star and getting like an answer from someone who would truly know? Yeah. And the fact that and, and so I've I think I've, I've been mistaken before because I've mentioned how. In the Darling Nikki episode, how those lyrics really kind of sparked the advent of the PMRC and explicit yeah. lyrics labeling. But I mean, there's no I mean, there's no curse words in that song. I mean, they True. say he says masturbate. Yep. But that's that's not like one of you know what I would consider a curse word. It's a it's a word meant to imply it has sexual connotations, but. There's there's no f bombs. There's you know there's nothing like that. Nothing like oh the, yeah. There's even worse terms than masturbation that Prince had already used. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we all can cite you know the end of Let's Pretend We're Married off 1999 is where yeah. he gets real explicit. But now, because I don't think of these backward this backwards message when I think of the songs because it's a backwards and b totally buried yeah. in the mix. So. But there's there's two f bombs in here. Yes, there are. <laughs> so so for those of you listening, if you've never um, you know, bothered to go look up what is being said at the beginning and end of "Baby I'm a Star," I'll read it for you. Go for it. Okay. Like, what the fuck do they know? All their taste is in their mouth. Really, what the fuck do they know? Come on, baby, let's go crazy. <laughs> and I just find that funny because. It's kind of, it kind of like doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of yeah. what is going on in the song. Yeah, totally out of context. 
yeah, it's it's really kind of bizarre. Like, yeah, sure, the backward message of Darling Nikki makes no sense in the context of what is being told up until that point either. But then as its own separate little thing, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a cool let's just put it this way, the, the backward message in Darling Nikki is way more righteous than yeah. <laughs> than what's yeah. being said here, which is way more indignant. <laughs> Oh to yeah, me, this comes across as t- super indignant, and it's just like I don't know, like it's somebody's reaction to some haters out there that are, you know, dissing Prince or whatever. Yeah, it, oh, it just it does seem out of place. Like he, I guess, if you say like in the context of the movie up to this point, yes, he's been told, like you said, your music makes sense to no one but yourself. Um, so he has faced critics. So maybe this is sort of fitting in in that regard as here's my response to people who don't like my music. All your taste is in your mouth. What do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it certainly could fit for the movie for that in, in what you just mentioned or even just in general, you know, Prince's career up to that point because Dirty Mind was an album that a lot of pe- left a lot of people confused, I think, especially some yeah. of his really early fans that were big into the disco sounds he was putting forth on for you and prince and then all of a sudden right. go to dirty minds like what this isn't what i signed up for oh yeah yeah and and what he experienced opening for the rolling stones also yeah yeah uh, he, had, he had definitely experienced some a little pushback in his life yeah and so he was basically like you could read that as being just like a, a statement against uh you know his critics essentially like yeah you know, if you don't get my music, that's okay because all your taste is in your mouth, and you know you basically have shit for taste anyway. So <laughs> I'm gonna keep yep. doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, but you know, 99% of the people on this planet that owned this album in the 80s had no idea what was being said anyway. So it yep. kind of D- yeah, probably didn't care either. No, no. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> no, me time. either. Me either. I wasn't in the right spot to, to care. Yeah, and, and trying to figure out, A, to even know that it was a backward message, and then finding the, the technology or tools to play, to play it. Yeah, and really, the only way then would have been to have, uh, you know, vinyl and spin it backwards. Yeah, and I tried that with Darling Nikki and with, with very little success, so there was no way I was going to be able to pick up this. All of the other stuff going on in the background to right. pick up the actual words and, and honestly like what I just read is just what's been transcribed uh, I don't know if there's any proof that this is exactly what's being said here I, I haven't read anybody who recorded it and says yeah that's right oh yeah I found the same um, probably the same just lyric notation that you did but there's um you can drop it into if you've got audacity which is free software you can open baby i'm star in it and select an area and play it in reverse and hear it pretty clearly i'll say too the way that you know assuming i'm right which i always do um <laughs> assuming assuming that it is windy the way she ends it with let's go crazy she doesn't say it there's like a weird pause between go and crazy that kind of yeah. throws you off a little bit 
Um, and that could also be intentional too, to just make it more, you know, difficult to uncover. So then getting into the song proper, the first verse is, Hey, look me over. Tell me, do you like what you see? Hey, I ain't got no money, but honey, I'm rich. I'm personality. Hey, check it all out. Baby, I know what it's all about. Before the night is through, you will see my point of view, even if I have to scream and shout. Okay, so I think as I kind of mentioned earlier there's a line in this first verse that is a is a very obvious callback to i want to be your lover right (laughs) it's the third line hey i ain't got no money (laughs) that's right (laughs) because you nailed that like literally the first line of i want to be your lover Uh, yeah i don't think he says hey but uh here he's loosened up a little and is trying to get your attention more but yes that's the very first line yeah yeah that's a good point he does say hey three times in here where he's just like pay attention pay attention yeah he's trying and i kind of thought that was a little bit of very smart lyric writing too if he's someone who's up and coming um he is trying to garner attention he is trying to snap his fingers and make people do a double take when they see him or hear his music so calling out this hey i thought was pretty smart in the lyrics it makes sense Mm mm-hmm in the fact, um, the first two lines, look me over, tell me, do you like what you see? It's, I mean, if you're looking at the lyrics as like how it's structured, these are like very visual, like do my visuals, does my presentation, my my visual presentation appeal to you? Yeah. Is this, is this something that you're, you can get down with? And we, you know, Prince is... His visual presentation in the late 70s, early 80s, especially the early 80s, Dirty Mind through, I don't know, like, you know, around the world in a day parade era was was atypical, I think, for for pop stars at the time. I mean, he kind of set the trend. You saw more people dressing like Prince after the success of Purple Rain with with the lace and the frills and the really kind of um, hyper gothic slash romantic costumes that he was wearing at the time but up until that point he was really playing around with a lot of visuals you know like i'm just gonna basically be in underwear or i'm gonna have this long trench coat that kind of gives the impression of like a flasher or something like somebody really kind of seedy right and then going into the really kind of feminine look with his clothing and having the revolution all have like that that those bangs that hung down over their their eye, yeah. so like the visuals were a big part of what he was presenting at the time. I think much more than it was maybe later in his career. Uh, part of that's maybe youth, you know, and I don't. Yeah. Just also trying to figure out what's going to stick with audiences. What is it going to make him stand out? Because the music is going to stand out. He already, I think he had confidence that his music was going to stand out. 
But y'all kind of know, unfortunately, like a lot of it, especially in MTV era, the the visuals were important too, to really kind of get that extra play and get that to stand out amongst the crowd in the pack. You had to have you had to look a little bit different and show something different. For sure, and I mean that was a concern, I guess, that he started to address with the. I don't know if you I'm sure you did listen to the. 1999 official podcast where mm-hmm. Bobby Z was talking about the first time that he, you know, brought out the purple glittery trench coat, and he was like, "Oh, well, now, now we're, now we're, now we're serious. This is going to be some serious show business." And he kind of built on that from there. Yeah, exactly. Show business. I mean, the first first word in there is show. The, yeah. The first syllable, show. <laughs> right. So that's, it's a big part of that is the visuals. And he, I really feel like Prince understood that. And, uh, you know, as he became bigger and bigger, I mean, he was always a showman, don't get me wrong. But, mm-hmm. you know, after a certain point, the visuals became less flashy. I mean, you, even when he was in the 2000s and when he had like the suits and he was really mm-hmm. natally dressed and, in looking, you know, impeccable, like from a presentation standpoint, that that's still a show. That's still a look. For sure, yep. it's just not the same look that he was gonna. He wasn't trying to be something that he was twenty years ago because that, you know, people's people's um, appearance change over time. Your your sense of style changes, trends change. You just gotta go with what's going on at the time. And MTV era, early eighties. It was very, how can we shock people? You know, what what can we do? What can be done to make us stand out? And just wearing suits, like the time, that was their thing, you know? And for him to do that and for Revolution to do that, especially when you have two members that are female, that yeah. wasn't going to work, you know? Yep. Yeah, he found a way to make them all match. Yeah, right? They all basically looked the same. It was his, it was his clothing and also like you know, uh, iconish type things like the painting of the woman's eyes, nose and lips on his bedroom window that you see uh, or like on the wall that was throughout the film too. And is in the wind doves cry video. There's all these things that are just trying to make memorable statements, you know, wherever he could. Yeah, he absolutely was. Uh, let's see anything else in the first verse talks about the visuals talks about, he doesn't have any money, just like the exact same line that was used in I Want to Be Your Lover. A rich on personality. That line always stuck out to me. I loved that line. Yeah. You know, I'm rich on personality. Because he kind of like pauses, honey, I'm rich on personality. Yeah. And uh, I just like how he delivers that line. You just kind of, you're waiting for it. It's like another beat. And you're waiting for rich on what? Because <laughs> you just said you have no money. So. Right, what do you have? <laughs> what what else? Oh, personality, duh, of course. Oh, of course. Because okay. you know, that, was, that was kind of also what he was selling a lot at the time to get people interested in him. I mean, how can you be a movie star if you don't have a uh, charisma, a personality yeah. that's going to translate? Yeah, he's got what counts and can build on it from there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's essentially what he's saying in his first verse. He's yeah. got a look. He's got personality. Uh, doesn't really talk much about his talent yet, but certainly he's he's definitely yeah. saying, "Hey, look at me," which is evident with all the haze thrown in. Yeah, he's definitely confident. 
Oh, for sure. The song is all about confidence and exhibiting yeah. that confidence. Oh, yeah. I was also wanting to mention that it's, I always have to remind myself that these are based on live recordings. You know, by the time you get to Sign of the Times and you have the live recording, albeit also heavily overdubbed of It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night, you always kind of think of that as like, oh, that's the first kind of live song that Prince put on an album. And you've got one third of the tracks on Purple Rain are essentially live recordings. Mm -hmm. But you can really tell, of course, that they've been heavily overdubbed because he sings with himself a lot of times. He does his own background vocals, which obviously obviously wouldn't happen live. But also, before he even gets to the first verse where he counts it off, one, two, three, you can hear him do one of these awa in the background, like in Mm -hmm. the left channel at 11 seconds into the song. And it's always stuck out to me, and I remember being a kid thinking, well, how is he singing that part and also singing these other parts before you know, it ever occurred to me, oh, well, you can record multiple tracks and put them together. Um, but there are a lot of telltale signs in this song that he just didn't seem to care that it lost its authenticity as a live track. It was more important to him to polish it, to create this almost like studio live kind of version of the song which I always thought was kind of innovative in itself for, you know, I'm doing my first movie, I've got my first soundtrack, and I'm going to take live songs and make them sound more studio-ish. There was a, you know, record a song without a bass line. He did take a ton of chances here. So, like you said, it's all about confidence, and um, he's exhibited it up to track eight pretty well here. Mm, yeah. And doing live songs... Is a tricky proposition when you're talking about making an album, like turning them into album tracks. And you know, this was this was the time, this was the moment in his career. He felt like I, <laughs> I can't, I can't screw this up, right? So yeah, I've got to make, even though I want this live feel for for these songs, because you know, it's basically the last three songs in the movie. They're not in the exact same order on the album, but because Baby I'm a Star, I don't. I'm glad it's not the last song on the record. Um, okay. Personally, I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of "Baby I'm a Star" being the last song on the album. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, the the presentation still needed to be like perfect. And yeah. how can you get more perfect than adding overdubs and doing exactly what you want in the studio on top of the live recording? And you can right. you can really get a, a a very strong live recording that's album worthy but it is going to be limited to what you can do on stage mm-hmm. and the stuff that you describe i can't imagine the song stripped down just because i've heard this so many times but it would be kind of cool well i mean obviously there's the version that is available on the the dvds the vhs now dvd version right of the purple rain concert from syracuse yeah in 85 and i remember watching I think, I think, because I don't know for a fact, and I haven't been able to find out anything else, but I'm pretty sure MTV played that back in the day. Yeah, or it was simulcast somehow. I don't know. I don't know what the what the broadcast situation was, but um, it, it doesn't need even part of the like the handwritten part of the credits at the very beginning that on whatever date 1985 the world experienced prince mm-hmm. and the revolution yeah so it was definitely yeah. broadcast yeah so it must have been it must have been the same thing that i saw when i was a kid when they would play that concert 
and mm-hmm. that was before I had ever really gone to a concert. So it was <clears throat> fascinating to me to see like these versions of the songs done in a way that that was different than than the recorded version. Same but different at the same time. And I didn't, oh, yeah. didn't know what to think about it. You know, didn't know what to think. I didn't know if I liked it or not. I liked my you know officially recorded versions, my studio versions, my yeah. album versions. I didn't know if I liked all this extra jamming going on and taking a four-minute song and turning it into a ten-minute song and <laughs> yeah, and putting a saxophone in it and yeah, I didn't. I mean, obviously now today I think it's great, but when when you're a kid, I was a lot more closed-minded. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, let's see. The second half of this first verse talks about. Before the night is through, you will see my point of view, even if I have to scream and shout. And he actually screams and shouts as he oh, yeah. s- says that line, which is which is cool. He screams several times in the song, actually. He does. Great Lots song. of good screams. I think like the line, before the night is through, you'll see my point of view, can even have a double meaning because, you know, it's Prince and you can always find some alternate sexual meanings in some of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see yeah. those, those two lines in particular. You know, if you're gonna say like what what out of this first verse could be construed as maybe having a, a sexual alternate meaning, it would be those two lines. Before the night yeah. is through, you'll see my point of view. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has ever thought of it that way. I'm sure they have, but yeah, I mean, you've, you're 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 a little twisted, but that's good. <laughs> We've already established this, Josh. <laughs> We've already established this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else on the first verse you wanted to bring up or discuss? You know, you do have a little bit of a double meaning here. If you look at the backmasked part of, you know, dismissing critics, what do they know? Really, what do they know? And then you get to this end of the first verse and Prince says, well, I'm going to convince you even if you don't know. And if it takes me screaming and shouting to convince you, I'm going to do that too. So he's not completely dismissive of critics or saying just go away he's almost inviting them to hang around and check him out and give him a chance to prove himself Mm, yeah yeah i think i mean i'm thinking of it from like anything from my own personal standpoint because i'm not prince i can't do what he was thinking but I also have always kind of had like a, I'm going to show people wrong. I'm going to prove people wrong, right? So like if you're telling me that I can't do something or if something that I've done isn't valuable or that, that good, Mm -hmm. then my, my initial reaction is to, you know, take that criticism and then kind of use it as motivation. And I'm sure like that's a little bit what it is, but it's not like, okay, well, even though the back masking part says, basically middle finger screw you mm-hmm. i don't really care what you say yeah but he kind of do you know i think he kind of does he yeah cares. he does i think he made a career of you know trying to find he's like an athlete you know trying to find motivation and to stay driven um so i think anything he could find that would be bulletin board material he would uh grasp onto while it while he could and make it last i mean a song like billy jack bitch was completely written in a response to criticism right so yeah Yeah. we know that he cared (laughs) oh yeah and he was kind of uh at some of his best doing his best work when he was angry or you know had felt like he had something to prove for sure i would agree with that 
Okay, so then after the first verse, the chorus is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Baby, I'm a star. Might not yeah. know it now. Baby, but I are. I'm a star. I don't want to stop till I reach the top. Sing it. And then, so then in parentheses, it's we are a star because that's get Wendy and Lisa singing that background or Jill too. I don't know who's exactly all on that, yeah. but it's female voices singing, we are a star. And I never thought, I never knew that was what was being said there. I always thought it was just a repeat of baby, I'm a star. Oh yeah. I thought it was a, we are all a star. Yeah, you're right. It Something along those lines. Yep. Yeah. We are all a star is what's written on the purple rain lyric sheet. And I've had to do this multiple times during these purple rain episodes refer back to my vinyl copy of purple rain which mm. has i don't know if have you seen it um i have seen the original 1984 edition or a reprint of it i have not seen the deluxe edition that came out a few years ago on vinyl. Sure which same. do you have um yeah it's both i have both versions of the vinyl but I, it's yeah. the same essentially okay. though it's all of the lyrics written in prince's kind of half cursive writing yeah in in purple and printed over kind of um a shimmery watery background mm-hmm. like mintonka possibly <laughs> and uh it's hard as hell to read and so i don't use this when i'm going through these lyric episodes because it's just too hard to read so i go back then to you know, various websites that have transcribed lyrics. And inevitably, for whatever reason, some of these lyric websites still get it wrong, even though there's oh, yeah. printed lyrics out yep. there to reference, and it's annoying as hell. <laughs> yeah, Christy has made it her personal mission to correct those as she finds them. Oh, well, tell her to go to uh, <laughs> genius.com and tell them to fix it from We Are a Star to We are all a star because that is what is written on Purple Rain final. Adding that to our base camp project <laughs> right now. All right, go Christy because that's annoying. I mean, I get it when there's like no printed lyrics out there and people are just doing their best guess, but come on. I mean, this this has been out there for decades. Yeah. Anyway, so yes, we are all a star. And the one thing about the chorus, besides the fact that, you know, that part is song not by prince and it's also something that i misheard for many years also the fact that the the incorrect grammar (laughs) yeah the purposeful incorrect grammar oh yeah yeah they're very purposeful but i are i'm a star baby but i are i'm a star and that was another line that confused me a bit Uh as i was i was a kid because i was pretty good in English class, I, I knew how to spell, I knew grammar, and I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> but you can see now what, what he was doing, playing with words and rhyming with star. It would just sound incredibly weird now if it was baby, but I am. <laughs> I'm a star. Because <laughs> <laughs> then he had to put a different word. Might not know now, baby, but I am. Doesn't yeah. Rhyme. So yeah, you'd have to completely change up the chorus. Oh and, yeah, um, grammar grammar nerds be damned. I'm I'm just gonna do it this way anyway. Right. Uh, anything else about the chorus before I move on to verse two? Just the way they say or he says star after that, baby. But I are I'm a 
Stone. It sounds to me like char, like he's burned something. <laughs> See, now I never heard that. That's funny. I have a hard time hearing the letter S there at all, baby. But I are, I'm a. Sounds like a CH to me. Okay. All right. I'm sure you're not the only one. You can't be the only I, one. I know I know what he's what he is saying, but I'm just that's what I hear. That's <laughs> what I sing when I'm in the car and the song comes on for the seventeen millionth time that I've heard it. Char. That's how, yeah, that's how I <laughs> sing it. Baby, I'm a char. Yeah, and you say that night when he says sing it. And uh-huh. they say, we are all a star. I say, baby, I'm a star. There you go. That's, that's what I always heard. See? I didn't know we are all a star. I mean, because for me, the song is very singular. Like, it's talking about Yeah, for himself. him. him. It's, 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 it's talking about himself. It's very first-person oriented. And I, that's why I never really understood or heard that, because I didn't think it was like, I'm a star. Oh, wait, we're all stars. Yeah, I never you got don't, that from this song. Totally. You don't really hear it as a let's let me lift you all up and make make you all realize your value. It's definitely <laughs> more of a self promo piece. Yeah, it's like I'm the shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pay attention to me. Yeah. But I get like why he doesn't sing that line if it's we are all a star. It's the band singing it. Right. It's the female right. members of it because you know that that was a big part of the, the the film, you know, they're a band. It wasn't Welcome to the Stage, the kid in the revolution. It's just the revolution. He's just, right. he's the leader, sure. Uh, but it's, they're just a band in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a call and response thing. He's singing, I'm a star. And they're, you know, responding with, we're all a star. Yeah. It can be an uplifting statement if you look at it that way. Like, yep. you know, we all have that in us to be stars if we want, which is nice. It's a nice yeah. sentiment. Yeah. And I don't want to stop till I reach the top. Well, didn't take didn't take long after recording the song finally. No, it did not. So then verse two is, hey, take a listen. Tell me, do you like what you hear? And if it don't turn you on, just say the word and I'm gone. But honey, I know there ain't nothing wrong with your ear. Hey, check it all out. Better look now or it just might be too late. Just might be too late. (laughs) My luck's going to change tonight. There's got to be a better life. Take a picture, sweetie. I ain't got time to wait. Is it wait or waste? I ain't got time to waste. Uh, I gotta go back to the Uh other. It's it's waste. There's another one. Write that down. Ha ha. All right. Give it to Christy. They gotta fix it again. Take a picture, sweetie. I ain't got time to waste. Which makes way more sense. Yep. Uh, Sorry. Um, Oh no, this is uh, another bullet in the base camp project. Yeah, I just, I, I need to, I wish these lyrics were better printed. <laughs> this damn, this damn vinyl, and I would just look at this, and I would know it was right. 
Yeah. Good. All right. So then verse two, the song, like I just said, the song makes me smile. I mean, these lyrics are so fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could, this is very much young Prince speak. This is not only the kid character, but I think it's very much his personality. Yeah. So I like the fact that in the first verse, at least the first two lines, hey, look me over, tell me, do you like what you see? And then in verse two, mm-hmm. hey, take a listen, tell me, do you like what you hear? I yes. gave the visuals, you know, here, here's how I look, here's how the band looks, this is what I'm presenting from a visual standpoint, but now here's the audio standpoint. Listen, yes. this, is what I'm, this is what I'm recording. Do you like what you hear? And if it don't turn you on, just say the word and I'm gone. And those turn you on, say the word and I'm gone is another one of those like double meanings, of course. Uh It's a little more overt maybe than what I had brought up in the first verse. Yeah. You know, turn you on obviously has a lot of sexual connotations to it. Talking about turning somebody else on, it's usually talked about in that manner. But turning somebody on to something also is used as a term to describe like getting somebody interested in something that, you know, you're presenting to them. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if it don't turn you on, just say the word and I'm gone. I like that where he's just essentially saying, although I don't believe it for a second. (laughs) Yeah. I don't don't believe like, okay, I, I got rejected. I'm done. Right. To do music, I'm not going to perform music anymore because somebody said they didn't like it. Yeah. Or or I'm on to other things. I guess that's uh, this is what I've done. You know, I've got other plans anyway. As another way to look at that, like he's not the type of artist that was going to uh, play the same thing over and over again. So if it didn't impress, assuming a female, then he's got other things in his pocket. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Those lines, if you don't turn you on, just say the word and I'm gone. It can just be like, I'm not going to quit music, but I'm just going to quit bothering you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not vibing with this. You don't get it. Yep. It's uh, okay. I'm gone. You know, there's there's other people out there that are going to enjoy this because I'm confident enough in what I'm doing that if it doesn't turn you on, doesn't mean there aren't a million other people out there that it will. So yeah, I like that. I like that. Me too. Oh, and the other the other thing about this verse, and this is just, and I'm, there's got to be somebody else out there that remembers. Um, and it always cracked me up when I was a kid when I would watch this live version. I swear he said in the line that goes, "To say the word and I'm gone, but honey, I know ain't nothing wrong with your ear or ears." Uh, so I heard him say he put a little ad lib in there ain't nothing wrong with your big old ear <laughs> i could i swear to god that that um, says that in some live version of this song I, out there yeah i didn't make that up at least you know i mean people have memories that can sometimes trick you like you swear you remember something as being real or truthful and then proven wrong decades later but this that does not sound wrong to me i don't know if it was in a concert or like a rehearsal session that is circulating but i think you are right okay i i swear it's <laughs> there's some i've been i haven't really been like obsessed with finding a version <laughs> of the song where he says ain't nothing wrong with your big boy ear <laughs> but because my because my memory is so i'm so confident in my memory of that 
because yeah. it was so striking to me. I thought it was hilarious when he ad libbed that uh-huh. line in there. Those those words. I always think of that. I can't hear this song without ad libbing <laughs> that in my head. <laughs> Yo, big old just, ears. Big old ears. Yeah, I just thought it was just funny as hell. Okay, uh, let's see what else is in this verse. Check it all out. Better look now, or it just might be too late. So, you know, he's kind of getting these lines like it might be too late my luck's gonna change tonight it's got to be a better life take a picture sweetie i ain't got time to waste mm-hmm. uh i get that like i'm up and coming you know i'm i'm basically tomorrow's superstar yeah so if you want to make time with me now is now is that time to do it if you want to get to know me if you want to be my girl if you want to interview me whatever it is that if you want my time <laughs> use it now because in a little while i'm going to be too big for you or i'm going to be too busy yeah you're totally right that's that's absolutely what i get from that last half yeah better make your move or you're going to miss out yeah my luck's going to change tonight and you know and as the closing song from the film that's an all a really good line to kind of uh, give us as the the viewer of the film a hint as to what's to come if we're really to to believe the lyrics of the song is being like i want to know what's going to happen to the kid well it's right here my luck's going to change tonight like this is a life-changing moment potentially for the kid in the film this performance of purple rain i would die for you and baby i'm a star my luck's going to change tonight there's got to be a better life and it's starting tonight starting right now yeah yeah again exudes confidence there's he has no doubt where he's headed yeah and the take a picture sweetie i ain't got time to waste line is just funny (laughs) it's just funny yeah totally because you think of like take a picture to last longer like someone's staring at him or something like that he's more of um hey you're not going to see me here for long so take a picture so you have proof that you were in my presence almost yeah yeah (laughs) I ain't got time to waste. I'm not going to sit here and just like mug for the camera for hours. So yeah. snap it now because I'm mm-hmm. moving on. Yeah. So after the second verse, then we got a repeat of the chorus. Um, it's the same as it was yeah. before. Yep. And then you've got the bridge. bridges everybody say nothing come too easy but when you got it baby nothing come too hard you see what i'm all about see what i'm all about if i got a scream and shout if i got a scream and shout baby <laughs> and then he just repeats baby baby and it gets more he gets more um emphatic with each baby yeah 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 <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you i'm glad i didn't have to do that for this one <laughs> i'm here to support you yes yes and that was full 100 percent support there because i can't do those screams uh, i can't most either people can't, most people no can't, way right? I mean, no no but i the the uh but it is a very the bridge is fun to sing along to i mean because you know the the, once again, the grammar isn't proper here. 
doesn't matter. Yeah. It's really not sung. It's more of like, um, like more of like Prince in his just like very casual, casual. Like I'm not speaking to the press. I'm not speaking to somebody who's going to quote me. This is just me talking with my friends mm-hmm. and just and just you know talking with people who get me and I can just relax a bit. And here's the kind of you know the grammar that I'm using when I'm just relaxing. I don't really give a crap about your proper grammar. When you got a baby, nothing come too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody say nothing come too easy. So those are technically improper grammar there, but it yeah. doesn't doesn't matter. Um, the sentiment's exactly the same. And with the second line, you're just basically getting out of that is when you when you have as much talent as I have. Yeah. <laughs> all this stuff that is very difficult for most people, eh, I can kind of do it with one with a hand tied behind my back, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, minimal effort minimal. begets maximum reward. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have quite as cool of a sound to it as everybody say nothing come too easy. But when you got it, baby, nothing come too hard. So yeah, I, <laughs> those two lines together just once again just bring a smile to your face because you kind of you kind of get it it's like he's not wrong <laughs> he's totally not like there's like an adorable confidence like you can be uh i don't know there's this it quality right that you can do these things and not come off as unlikable he still comes off as cocky but it's like a, this endearing kind of cocky yeah yeah because it's, it's not like he's putting other people down to mm-hmm build himself up this is all just you know self-promotion like you said and just expounding on his talents which were there it's it it's one thing if somebody is building up themselves it's it's something that they're not true Um, we we know and we're starting to get a glimpse of that you know in 83 84 that the stuff that he was saying he was in this song he wasn't wrong. I mean, he, he had it, quote unquote, it. When you got it, baby, nothing come too hard. He had it. And not everybody has it. It doesn't matter how good you are as a singer or composer or guitarist or keyboardist. There's also an it factor that is needed. Right. It's, I mean, if it's the truth, it ain't bragging. Yeah, that's that's 100% <laughs> correct. And, and that's why I think it doesn't come off as being too cocky or being, you know, kind of grossly uh, self-promoting. It's because it's it's not. It's one song. It's meant to be kind of, I mean, it's kind of meant to be also just a fun joke, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah, a little bit of humor. I don't take it too seriously. It's like, here, let me sing a really serious song about how talented I am. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not serious. It's a fun song. So all these lyrics that are talking about his talents and how he's going to be a star, and this is why, because he had it. And, and nothing comes too hard when you have it. But I'll, at the same time, we also know that he did work very hard for, yeah. for what he did and, and how he got where he was. Uh, so that's why I don't take it too seriously, and, and nobody really should, I don't think. Totally. But then, yeah, the screams are great at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, you know, you can, I, at least I do, when the song is being played, I sing along with that and I just do my best. 
<laughs> oh yeah, uh, especially if I'm alone. Actually, that's the only time when I do it. Is if I'm alone, I'll do my best. If I'm yeah. with someone else, I don't bother. I might do it in the car with my family around, just because they know that you know <laughs> I'm the guy. To, I'm the kind of guy that's gonna do a Prince song with them. Okay. Yeah. But uh, outside of my my family unit, so to speak, I, I don't think I would do like this. Wouldn't be a karaoke song for me. Yeah, no, it, it requires a little too much. Yeah, because you can't just stand there, right? You can't just stand there and sing the song and just, you know, there's there's a there's a visual expectation to go along with it, like some sort of dancing moves. Uh, I'm not going to do the splits, but, you know. If yeah, you're gonna... well, and you're literally asking people to look you over and tell <laughs> you if they like what they see. And some people don't want to have that answered. Yeah, and he's totally vamping this song up during the performance in the film. Uh, you know, he's he's got his all the sorts of moves that he's been exhibiting up to this point. You know, I mean, he's he's dancing, he's splitting, he's jumping off of you know, amps. He's then you've got at the very end, he grabs his guitar, he's got that impish look on his face, like, "Ooh, am I doing yeah. something naughty?" Yeah, and then he grabs his guitar. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, even the end of the song, the freeze frame with him like looking over his shoulder and the light emanating from behind his head and creating those crazy starburst shadows that is just like totally iconic now. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how the movie ends before it goes to credits. Yeah. So yeah, that that's the the bridge and then we get uh, what do we get after that? We get some more chorus. Might not Dude. know it now, but I are. And if he doesn't really do anything different with the chorus at any point. Yeah. And then we get um, like more of this, like the extension of the the, the musical aspects of the song, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I get a little bit of like a, I don't know, maybe like a James Brown vibe towards the end of this when he's calling out members of his band. I mean, he really only just calls out Doctor Fink, but yeah, he calls out somebody, and then Doctor yeah, Fink right. by name. Only when he says doctor, then yeah. the, the, the doctor think. Um, and that was before I knew who the members of the revolution were. Oh, okay. But that line when he called out doctor, I, that confused me. But then I saw, then I started seeing videos and you saw the guy in the scrubs. I'm like, mm, I bet you that's doctor. <laughs> yeah, it all starts to come together, right? Yeah, it, it, it definitely came together at that point. This is the whole instrumental ending where you have the. You know, he pauses once and gives you that breathy, huh, huh, and then doctor. And there's like three of those that have mm-hmm. this instrumental synth thing that kind of gets more intense each time is really what hooked me on the song. I just thought it was super cool. Yeah, you don't really know when it's going to end. You don't know at one point he's going to just like, you know, finish it mm-hmm. and say, okay, here's the ending. Then he pauses, then he yeah. says something else to keep the song going. Right. And you get that's when you get that great uh, Dr. Fink synth solo instead of a guitar solo. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and also, as is already kind of brought up in the film, this is his moment to, you know, kind of get the, the rest of the band involved. He doesn't call out everybody, but, you know, there's points in the song where he's um, dancing with Wendy and, and Brown mm-hmm. Mark and. You know, Bobby and Lisa don't get as much to do in the song, but 
you know, Doctor gets his own synth solo, which is does, cool. Uh, does he put his hat on Wendy at the end yeah. of this song, too? Yeah, yeah. kind of dresses her up real cute. and Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's got the luxury of being, like, up front and center. Yeah, next him. to him. Yeah. You know, Bobby and Lisa and Doctor are in the back because, you know, they've got big, bulky instruments to... I mean, they—they—they they, they, he resolves that later with Tommy Barbarella in the NPG era when he's got yeah the guitar, the guitar, and he's able yeah. to get out from behind that big bulky uh, keyboard and and jam out with the rest of the band. But yeah. back in 1984, they were still kind of Lisa was stuck behind that thing, and she can only just blow her her bangs out of her eyes and <laughs> that's right, <laughs> maybe smoke a cigarette <laughs> and smoke cigarettes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the end of the song is really fun and cool, but there's not much in the, word, in, in the way of lyrics. And then you get the, out, the backward message again, which is repeated exactly the same as it was in the beginning. So it's not a new message, it's just the same thing. Yeah, it's the song, exactly the same. Yeah, the song begins and ends essentially the same way, with the same music and the same backward message. And it's and that's the song. And then you hear it a little is. bit, then you hear a little bit of crowd applause at the end you know before we're moving on to the much more somber purple rain yeah very uh not a big crowd do you hear either you don't uh you know he's clearly that was the one thing i thought you know well he could have added crowd noise or made this sound like a much bigger performance but it still seems like uh or it still sounds like at the end that it's a small club performance almost a little underground still which makes sense for someone claiming to uh, be on the verge of hitting it big, it wouldn't have made sense to have this uproarious, you know, tens of thousands of people screaming at the end of the song. It sounds like maybe a few hundred, not tens of thousands. Yeah, it is a pretty small crowd sound at the end. Who knows if it was bigger when it was recorded live in August of 83 at First Ave and they just kind of pared it down or they just took a portion of it in in the overdub section or you know the overdub process to throw in there i don't know how that all worked out for who knows those are just kind of studio tricks and studio secrets we'll maybe maybe never know it's okay that's cool it is cool and this song is cool as hell i love this song me too yeah that's baby i'm a star essentially you know as i mentioned it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at a time when he was hungry for stardom and fame and he got it you know, right? Which is a great time for this song to be present on an album that essentially made him a global phenomenon. To have a song like Baby I'm a Star, it's just totally fitting. If this would have been on Dirty Mind or, or Controversy, like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you're you probably overstating it there, bud. Yeah, but it, it just... It's yeah, just right song at the song. right time, it seemed like. It was, the right song at the right time. And... Um, I just, like I said, I smile every time I hear it. Doesn't matter how many times I've heard the song, it never fails to to make me happy, which is a sign of a, a great party song. Yeah, me too. And I don't, and maybe it's because I've been listening to it for, you know, 35 years, however long it's been, but um, it doesn't ever sound real dated to me. Like, it doesn't sound like a typical 1980s song. Maybe it's because it was the live studio thing that kind of happened with this one but it seems it's simple but pretty timeless yeah i think it's very timeless it has a an appeal to it that and he played it live um throughout his career so Mm -hmm. prince felt like this song was still relevant 
at different points in his career and still enjoyable enough to continue performing. Definitely, yeah. I didn't realize how often or how many cover versions there were of this either. There's one by Tina Turner. Yeah, I was going to say, fill me in. Oh, Tina Turner's got a cover version of it. Um, Buddy Miles has a cover version of it that's kind of more of a bluesy kind of thing. And P. Diddy, who I'm not a giant fan of, but went and found... He's got a song called Special Feeling from 2006 that is completely based on the beat and the melody of Baby I'm a Star. Hmm. Okay. So check those out. I, I did, and... Um, you know, P. Diddy. I told I told Christy. Well, it was listenable to me. I I could I could listen to it from start to finish. All right, well, check it out. <laughs> I will listen to it just because I like to hear people's takes on Prince music, even if I never like decide that's superior. Um, yeah, which is like almost never the case. But I still like. To, it's interesting to me to to see who he's influenced. Yeah. Uh, who I mean, to, to cover him, you have to value the music that that Prince made. So even if you're not into the reinterpretation, at least you can say like, okay, well, obviously, Sean Combs is a, a fan of Prince because why oh, else yeah. would you use "Baby I'm a Star," a song that you know had been 30 years old at the time, or 20 years old when he recorded it in 2006? He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah it's about 22 years old at the time." wasn't a new song it wasn't relevant it wasn't like you know chasing a trend yeah and he wasn't anyone who needed the help of someone else's popularity either he was you know doing just fine yeah exactly so he must have done it because he was a fan of friends so that's cool yep it is cool all right well josh i think we'll call it um why don't you tell the listeners what you're up to on your podcast oh sure um well, Christy and I, have, my wife, Christy and I, have a podcast. Um, it's called The Mountains and the Sea, which you mentioned earlier. Um, you can find us on Facebook at The Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast, and also on Twitter at TMATS Podcast, T-M-A-T-S. Um, our format is we listen to, uh, start with an album and uh, go track by track, and uh, we each listen to it separately, make a point of not talking about our own opinions until we sit down to record the podcast. Um, and then we pick a mountain, which is a high point, and a sea, which is a low point for us from that particular album. Or it might be a set of B-sides or a live show or um, a related artist album that, that kind of fits into that period. We just finished up uh, what seemed like about seven and a half years that we spent on 1999 <laughs> Super Deluxe. And uh, then we're going to launch into um, a podcast series starting with the Rainbow Children to try to coincide with the reissue uh, which has now been pushed back till may uh, but we're still going to ride on the coattails of that a little bit and touch on the rainbow children and one night alone piano and live and uh, some other material during that 2001 2002 period okay great yeah check them out mountains in the sea i liked all of the 1999 episodes the super deluxe episodes there were a lot but there's a lot of music there so i get it yeah it's a ton. It is a ton. And as much as I loved it, I've got to tell you, I'm so glad to come on here and talk to you about this song and start a podcast about some other topic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand that. I'm after sure you while, do. Yeah. After a while, you're just like ready to move on to the next the next thing. Just like Prince always is ready to move on to the next thing. So now we know how he felt. <laughs> we know exactly how he felt. Totally. 
<laughs> totally. totally. Without, without question. <laughs> well, we love listening to your show. We're big fans, and uh, both of us are thrilled to come on uh, whenever you have an opening. We're ready. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that. <laughs> you bet. You bet. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Josh. And I wanted to say thanks to the listeners as I'm starting to get towards the end of my Purple Rain journey. I still am going to do all the B-sides, so so check those out when they come up. And um, yeah, this has been Jason Brenninger for the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. You can check me out at Press Rewind 75 on Twitter and Instagram. And I also have a Facebook page as well. I appreciate you all for listening. Thank you very much. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.